We have so much to get in this morning because I realized that a couple weeks ago when Sue led us and she was kind of opening it up to hear from all of you, I was so encouraged and excited about what God does in each one of you that I actually love to hear from you more than I like to hear myself talk. So (laughs) today I had asked three different people to share, actually four, and Annette Carr, um, she has a headache today, so she couldn't come. So next week I'm thinking we're going to have her share a little bit too. So I am going to just like blitz through this beginning outline part so that we can get to um, hearing how love and obedience really plays out in, um, in all of your lives. And one thing I wanted to share before I got started, um, that a lot of getting a grasp of what love and obedience really looks like can stem from remembering. And we've been doing that for a few weeks now, just remembering what God has done. And Deuteronomy is so much about that. But we were at a family gathering the other night, and um, we usually, when we're all together, a lot of times memories start surfacing. So we were talking about this crazy dog that we used to own, and um, our son Jay started sharing this story that I usually share about this dog, how it used to get out of every kind of little gate, every door. It was just like this escape artist. His name was Hoop, and we called him Hoop Dini. So, <laughs> so Jay started sharing this story, and I was just kind of gra- catching a little bit of it, and um, he, he was just kind of giving half the story. And usually I tell this story, and I make it really funny. So, <laughs> so I'm like listening, and then it was just like this automatic reaction that when he was done sharing kind of half the story, or what I thought was half, I just like jumped in there and started telling the whole story over again. And it was one of those times where I was like halfway through telling the story, and I was thinking like, this is so stupid. Like, he just told the story. And I'm like, his mom just like jumping in and telling the story for him. And I was halfway through, and I was like looking around, thinking like, how do I get out of this? But (laughs) that thing where you're going like, help, I'm talking, and I can't shut up. So, (laughs) so, So I'm like trying to get to the end of the story, and it's like everybody else is looking at me like, why are you telling the story that Jace just told? And Jace is the sweetest guy, so it's like everybody's feeling bad. Like, mom thinks she has to retell a story that he's telling. So it was like, funny in a way, not yet for me, because I felt so embarrassed and so much shame that I had done this. And then one of the kids commented, like, um, mom, Jace just told that story. But it was like, I felt like that heat that goes through your body of like embarrassment and shame. And it was like toward the end of the evening, thankfully, because by the end I was like feeling like I wanted to just cry. And I felt so stupid, like, like what a stupid thing to do. So um, the night went on and we're driving home and I'm kind of telling Tom about how I felt and crying. And then I'm all of a sudden starting to think like, well, now I still, we'd been out of town all week, so now I still have to prepare for Tuesday and um, think about what I'm going to say. And really, 
like, I don't know if this happens to you, but when I do something like that, I feel like I just don't want to talk to anybody. I feel like I've, I already talk too much, so I don't, <laughs> I don't want to do this. So I get in this, um, this kind of really down, depressed thing. So I'll refer back to this if we have time, just about what happens in me in my interaction with God with this, because it's like I can go to him and put it before him and not cover myself, but let him cover me, or I can just kind of like ignore it, which would be what I think is a lack of really responding to his love in me. So I wanted to tell you that story to let you know that I do really want to um, kind of go quickly through this outline because I'm so aware lately that I often use too many words. And I came across this quote by Oswald Chambers, which um, I think is so, so good and kind of got my mind thinking about what I was going to present today. And it says, are we so noisy in our instruction of others that we cannot get anywhere, no, that God cannot get anywhere near them? So I was thinking, am I so noisy in my instruction of others, which happens individually, in a group setting, or maybe even in our instruction, that God can't get anywhere near you. So I'm really hoping that this time that we spend today reflecting on all God's done is an opportunity for God to get come in close and be near you and to take him in in a way that we can really um, begin to love as he loves so remembering was kind of the theme of this week, and I, I know a lot of you did a lot of work in that and remembering and going through Deuteronomy. And um, in Deuteronomy, the word remember or remembrance is mentioned 16 times, which kind of gives us the emphasis of why, why remembering is such a big deal. And then in the rest of the Bible, it's mentioned over 320 times. So there's such significance. I know one of the questions was talking about how do we get his mind or get our minds and soul and body all of us our whole person into a place where we can love and love God and love one another so it's this practice of remembering so I was going to just let you respond briefly because we we are in a we have so much to get in but I do want to hear from you like what what your response is to the question, why is remembering so important? What does remembering do for us in our relationship with God? Pat? Teaches us trust. Why? Mm -hmm. So good. When we see what he's done, we're more likely to trust him with the next step. What else? Why else is remembering important? Yeah. Honor and glory. It's his purpose in us, isn't it? Thank you. So remember, the word remember that we read about this week in Deuteronomy is the word zakar, which means to bring to mind and celebrate with something new. I hadn't, I hadn't known that remember in that definition, the Hebrew definition of remember, is celebrating what he's done, celebrating the memories that he's done for us. Confess was another one 
that we can confess. So to remember something, a lot of times we're saying it out loud and agreeing with God about it. And consider, preserve, and take thought. So many awesome things in that one little definition of remember. So that's kind of the foundation. So practicing and remembering him increases our ability to take in his love in a way that we begin to love as he loves. This is really what it is at the heart of obedience. In every single commandment and everything he asks us to do, the heart of it is loving one another, loving God, and loving ourselves. So it means it's engaging our ears to hear and our heart to respond to his love. So this is a, um, a prayer that was a practice of Jews. Every morning and evening they came together and they practiced saying these words out loud to God in the presence of one another. So I thought it would be fun if we could do that. What the Jewish tradition was, when we every time they gathered, they would stand and they would say these words together. Now, I hate it when people make me stand sometimes and I don't feel like it, so don't feel like you have to. But if you would like to, I invite you to stand. If you're holding a baby or it just feels hard, then you're standing in your heart. So we'll know that. So we'll, those of you who would like to, go ahead and stand. And we're going to... Pray these words together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them to your, to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Wow, that just was so amazing to me because I grew up every Saturday when we would go to temple, standing and saying that. So, gosh, what a, an amazing, con, what do we call that? Conclu no. What's, it's, like a, um, it's like when everything crashes together, whatever, combustion. <laughs> anyway, thank you for doing that with me. Um, now, I'm gonna, we're going to play a little clip which talks about Shema and... Um, Shema is the word for here. And this clip, I was, I was going to spend some time talking about it, and then I came across this clip when I think he puts it a lot more quick and concise. But it's an amazing word, Shema, which really means to listen and to obey all at once. So hit the clip. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now the first word of the Shema is hear or listen, which in Hebrew is pronounced Shema. That's where the prayer gets its name. Now, Shema is a really common word in the Hebrew Bible, and it's obvious why. 
hearing is a very universal activity. It's usually connected with the ear, as in Proverbs chapter 20, ears that shema and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. Now that seems basic enough, but if you look at the other ways that Hebrew authors can use the word shema, they use it to mean more than just let sound waves enter your ear. In Hebrew, shema can also mean pay attention to or focus on. So when Leah, who wasn't loved by her husband Jacob, she has a son and she names him Simon, or in Hebrew, Shimon. Because, she says, the Lord has Shema that I am unloved. So Shema means to hear and to pay attention to, and even more. It can also mean responding to what you hear. This is why so many of the cries for help in the book of Psalms begin with a call that God listen. Psalm 27, verse 7. Shema my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful. Answer me. So asking God to Shema is at the same time asking God to act, to do something. It's similar to when God asks people to listen. Like when the people of Israel come to Mount Sinai, God says, If you shema me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Now there's a couple interesting things about this verse in Exodus. In Hebrew, the word shema is repeated twice in the sentence to give it emphasis. If you shema shema, meaning listen closely. But also notice that from God's point of view, listening is basically the same as keeping the covenant. So when God asks the people to shema, what he means is that they listen and obey. And that's the last fascinating thing about shema. In ancient Hebrew, there is no separate word for obey, meaning to carry out the wishes of someone who knows better than you or is in authority over you. So in the Bible, if you want to say, I will listen and do what you say, you use the single word, shema. In Hebrew, listening and doing are two sides of the same word. This is why later in Israel's history, when the people were breaking their covenant promises to God, the Hebrew prophets would say things like, they have ears, but they're not listening. The Israelites, of course, could hear just fine, but they weren't actually listening, or else they would act differently. And so, in the end, listening in the Bible is about giving respect to the one speaking to you and doing what they say. Real listening takes effort and action, and that's the Hebrew word, Shema. Isn't that cool? Hey guys, thanks for watching. Bye bye. Hmm. They're called the Bible Project, and I don't know exactly, but I can send you that link if you like. They have so many great videos. I don't know if you guys have all seen those. They're so good. So again, hear or listen is the word Shema which here it means to allow the words to sink in, provide understanding, and generate a response. It's all the same thing. So listen and obey, and like he said, it's all throughout Scripture, and it's just one word, but it means so much more than just hearing, but it means to obey. So hearing and doing are basically the same thing. Oh, I don't, I, there was something else I wanted to tell you. Well, really quick, I'll just tell you just a little difference in the culture. The Hebrew culture, when they heard the word Shema or to listen, they automatically took action with that. And there's just a little difference in our American culture, which we're such a thinking and reasoning and logic culture that we kind of take it to mean first you have to hear it, think about it, decide if that's a good thing for us to do, and then the action comes after. And I just love thinking about the, the original people of God, how hearing was 
automatically spurred you on to action, which for me is really motivating to think I can hear and obey almost simultaneously. It's like a, a circle instead of a first this, then this. So it, it kind of all works together. So Jesus grew up praying the prayer, the Shema, and that's, it was so familiar to him that when he was asked which of these is the most important commandment, he responded by using the word Shema, using the prayer Shema. And he said, the foremost or the most important is here, again, Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, there is no other greater commandment than these. So for him, obeying and the commandments were all about loving. Everything, every commandment, everything he asks us to do, you can trace it back to the motive of love. Then from 1 John, it says, By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So then further in verse 19, it says, We love because he first loved us. So the initiator is always God. But on our side of it, we don't have to wait and feel or experience his love before we can actually act on his love. So I, I don't know if that makes sense to you, but I, I sometimes think we, we, we get it in our mind that we have to wait, experience, but it's like that same thing of the thing of two sides of the same coin. It's like as we act, he jumps in and enters into a way where he brings glory to himself. So, um, oh, there's a quote that I put in, but I thought it was here, but it'll come So in a second. So the one who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. So his commandments are completely go together with love. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and disclose myself to him. So here's that quote. No matter how disagreeable a thing may be, may be, say, Lord, I am delighted to obey thee in this matter. And instantly, the Son of God will press to the front, and there will be manifested in my human life that which glorifies Jesus. That's Oswald Chambers. I love Oswald Chambers. <laughs> so 1 John 3.16 says, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. This is the natural outpouring of receiving his love in a way that we get to act on it by loving one another. Here's another quote. And this one will introduce us to our lovely sharers. It says, The atonement of Jesus has to work out in the practical, unobtrusive ways in my life. Every single one of us has the opportunity every day in some kind of interaction where we get to step into obedience or where we decide we're going to do it our own way. Every time I obey, absolute deity is on my side so that the grace of God and natural obedience coincide. That's the word I was looking for earlier, coincide. 
<laughs> Obedience means that I have banked everything on the atonement. It always comes back to the cross. It always comes back to his blood sacrifice for us. And my obedience is met immediately by the delight of the supernatural grace of God. So Stephanie's going to come and share first from her journal. And then we'll have Jenny. I won't introduce you. She'll come right up. And then we have a surprise guest on a video who was going to be here today but took a little detour and found herself on the beach. So here. <laughs> Hi, I'm Stephanie. Um, I shared this last week when we were in our small groups for the whole time. Um, we had been asked that week to read 1 Peter chapter 1 and kind of reflect on that the whole week, and this was the part of it that really stuck out to me. Um, it was verse 13. It was really just the second part of it, but I'm going to read the whole verse because I hate it when people start in the middle of a sentence. It says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I got stuck on those five words. It says, rest my hope fully upon. And as I wrote in my journal, I wrote, each word describes the others. It's my hope that I already have. I don't have to look around for it, only to rest it. And then to rest it fully upon, not next to or near, but fully upon the grace that will be revealed in the coming of Christ Jesus. I am saved by what he has done, and I am hopeful because of what he is going to do. None of it is dependent on me or my circumstances. And then I quoted the Princess Bride, because you should, if you're going to <laughs> write anything worthwhile. Life is pain. That has become true and real in, my, in the past six years or so. I listed a bunch of examples of that, which I'm not going to read it for you now, but whatever that means for you too, your life has probably been full of pain, maybe more than you thought, like me. It's not just one thing or one struggle, it's my struggle with all of it, and with the thought that it just feels like too much. But you are God, you get to decide that. I don't get to do the measuring. I want to trust you with every bit of it. Help me to trust you, to rest fully in the hope of the grace that will be revealed in Christ Jesus. You are good. Your love endures forever, not for a season or for a while, but forever. So that was one day just in the middle of the week. And then at Marsha's house last week, she asked us each to go take, I think we took 20 minutes maybe, with the same scripture and just kind of reading it and seeing whatever God would bring out in it again. Um, and then also looking at that sheet that, that we had printed out for us. Um, and, uh, well, I don't think I need to share those parts. But I came back again to that same verse, so I'll read it again. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I can hope for good things for myself and others, but that is not a strong place to rest. In this world, we will have trouble. You even say that trials are needed to mature us and point us to the hope that is only found in you. If it was all just about, oh, I hope you feel better, or I hope you have a good day, then I wouldn't really need to trust Jesus. Not just hope built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, but also hope that is to be brought at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Lord Jesus, you are coming again. My hope can rest upon that, no matter the situation, the diagnosis, the broken relationship, the hard circumstance. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's great mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in him. And that's Lamentations 3 something. I didn't write it down. I'm also in Marsha's group. I'm Jenny. And I feel a little like, can you guys hear me? If I hold it like that. Um, <laughs> that's a little too close, Marsha. <laughs> okay, so now, <laughs> no. Um, I feel a little wordy, so I hope the Lord can reach you in the midst of all these words. But um, I'll just read what I wrote. Uh, and also, just for clarification, I share a little bit about my son. Marsha wisely said, did he say it's okay? And I did check with him, and he said it was okay for me to share. So, um, Last week, for the taking it in and living it out exercise, we were asked to think about the last few weeks, months, or maybe years, and write about what has been a painful, hard, or significant struggle or source of suffering in our lives. Here's a little of my story. Life in the wilderness. The painful struggle of oh gosh. <laughs> the painful struggle of the past few years has been my son and his struggle with mental illness. He is in a prison of isolation and depression and now social anxiety. He cannot seem to come out of it. The more he is alone, the more difficult it is for him to enter into the world and to have confidence to do to do so. He will not let me in at all, and that has been so difficult. In my journaling on the wilderness last week, I wrote, Why, Lord, how can he come back to a healthy place? Can you rescue him? Will you rescue him? It breaks my heart day in and day out. What is it that you would want to say to me in this, Lord? What is the purpose in this? We were to read James 1, 2, and 4, which reads in part, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Quite honestly, that was really difficult for me to read. Count it all joy? Really? Joy? In my journaling, I cried out, Can I hope in you, Lord? Would you mightily call him for your own? I sensed God respond to me, trust. I looked up the definition of trust, a reliance on the integrity, strength, ability of a person or thing, to have confident expectation of something, hope. Then we met last week in our small groups, and our group took some time to be alone with God and engage with 1 Peter chapter 1. God started to show me how to be steadfast and to have hope during my trial. Peter is writing to believers who have been exiled throughout the region, and now they are facing trials of all kinds. In verse 2, he desires that grace and peace would be multiplied to them as they were scattered. Peace in the midst of trials? I looked up the definition of peace a spiritual sense of well-being. I thought joy feels difficult right now, but peace, a spiritual sense of well-being, that is something I can look for. Peter continues in verse 3 explaining that we have been born again into a living hope, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's not going to go away no matter what trial comes my way. 
That is hope, and it will not be taken away from me. And then in verse 5, he writes, This inheritance is being kept for us, those believers in the first century as well as us today, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Our faith guards us, protects us during our trials, and our faith comes from God through his power. So I was learning that I could have a spiritual sense of well-being even in the midst of my heart-wrenching trial with my son because of my faith. My faith is more precious than gold. But what does that faith in trials look like, look like? Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, verse 8. That is faith. Love for God, believing in God, even when we don't see him, when we, not, we, when we cannot see him working. And this faith guards our hearts. And so doing this wilderness, this trial, I have faith or trust in Jesus. I love him and I believe in him even when I don't see him working. That can give me a, sense, a spiritual sense of well-being or peace. That can give me hope. Peter continues by saying in verse 15, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Well, we just learned about God's holiness in Leviticus and Numbers. To be holy is to be set apart. God set up all of these systems, the tabernacle, the priests, the altar, the sacrifices, the Sabbath, to give us tangible ways to understand what holiness is and, what, and that he is holy. He is set apart or different from normal life. So for me to be holy is to do things differently, to be set apart from the culture around me for God. This means putting my faith and trust in God rather than my own abilities during this time of trial. That is holiness to me. That brings me, that brings me a sense of spiritual well-being. Finally, in verses 18 through 21, Peter explains that through him, Jesus, we are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that our faith and hope are in God. Jesus was sacrificed and raised so I would know where to place my hope and faith during times of trial. I said to God, I place my faith and trust in you. I am set apart or holy as I do this, and I have a living hope. This all multiplies my peace as Peter desired. But what do I do for my son while he suffers? The verse in James 1, 5 that I read earlier continue, or the verses in James 1, 5 that I read earlier continue, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Peter answers the what to do with this. Having purified your souls in, by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That is what the Holy Spirit through Peter instructs me to do. Love my son earnestly. I can do that. I can love and believe in Jesus when I don't see him working and I can love my son. That gives me hope. I feel like God gave me one more piece of joy in this wrestling. Yes, joy. He promises that he is for my son even more than I am. But, and this, I didn't write the reference to this verse, so. <laughs> but it's in there, I promise. <laughs> But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He is working on my son's heart. I have hope, I have peace, and I can have joy.
Don't want to be too noisy after that. So just as Deuteronomy stresses the importance of remembering the mighty way God brought the Israelites out of bondage, we today remember the mighty way he brought us out of the bondage of our own sin by the precious blood of Jesus. He brought us out in order to bring us in. That's in Deuteronomy 6.23. This semester, we have seen Jesus as the bread who came down out of heaven, our daily bread, our Passover lamb, the one who took bread and asked us to remember him, his body broken for us. He took wine and asked us to remember his blood poured out for us. This is his provision for us so we can live in love and obedience to him. We love because he first loved us. This love is alive in us and it causes us to follow him and to walk in his ways. We remember him as we take in his love and we go out into the world to love as he loves. So this next song, we'll pray as a prayer to him and as a way to just close our time and to remember all that he's done throughout this semester in us through his great, great love for us.